What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the 4040 Vision Podcast, the ultimate sports history pod where hindsight is 4040. Before we jump into today's episode, here's a quick word from one of our sponsors. Welcome to episode eight of the 4040 Vision Podcast, the ultimate sports history pod brought to you by Sideline Sports. I'm your host, Colette Abdallah, and today we're doing a retrospective on the 2022 Pro Football Hall of Fame class. We talk about if these guys deserve to get in, if they got in too early or too late, and we also cover the snubs from the larger pool of candidates. So on this pod, you're going to hear some references to an interview with Raiders blogger and social media personality Kenny King Jr. about Cliff Branch, but we do plan to release that as a separate episode in the future. Uh, Kenny and his family were very close to Cliff Branch, so he has a unique insight there, and we can't wait for y'all uh, to hear that segment. So once again, thanks for listening, and we're going to jump right in to uh, do the pod. Next up, I'm going to be joined again by my uh, usual host, uh, Osama Dahoud. What's up, man? How are you? Good, good. How's it going? Good, good. Uh, so we're going to be talking about the rest of the Hall of Fame class. I know we spent uh, quite a bit of time on Cliff Branch in particular with Kenny, uh, but there was a number of other guys inducted in the 2022 class. Uh, do you want to go down, go through the list for us, uh, Osama? Yeah, so the Pro, Pro Football Hall of Fame announced its class of 2022 uh, with tackle Tony Baselli, safety Leroy Butler, linebacker Sam Mills, the defensive lineman uh, Richard Seymour, defensive lineman Bryant Young, wide receiver Cliff Branch, coach Dick Vermeil, and uh, official Art McNally. Yeah, so that's a hell of a list. Um, so what, what we wanted to do is, is go through each of these guys. We can touch on their resume a little bit and talk about, you know, did they deserve their, their place in the Hall of Fame? Did they deserve to be uh, inducted this early for some of the guys? Um, so we can start off with, uh, with Tony Baselli. So Tony Baselli spent uh, six years with the Jaguars. And he was going to join the, the Houston Texans, but uh, spent a single season there on IR. Um, so Baselli was a first three-time uh, All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler, uh, was a member of the 1990s All-Decade team, and is uh, in the Jaguars Ring of Honor. So question to you is, did Tony Baselli deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. I think that he was pretty long overdue. The first player ever drafted by the Jaguars. He was the number two pick uh, in 1995. He went to five straight Pro Bowls from 96 to 2000. Like you said, first team all pro three times. He only played 91 games over seven seasons because of injury, but he did help Jacksonville advance to AFC championship games in 96 uh, and 99. Uh, he, he's also the first uh, Jaguar uh, Hall of Famer uh, which is pretty cool, and the first inductee into their ring of honor uh, back in 2006. And his resume for his short time was impressive. He was impossible to get by. In 91 games, he only allowed 15 and a half sacks, uh, which is less than two sacks an entire season. Uh, so very much deserving uh, being on the 90s all-decade team, one of the best offensive tackles of all time. Yeah, and if you make the an all-decade team, you're pretty much a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame. Um, as I've said on previous pod, the Hall of Fames uh, or the Hall of Fame is is there to sort of tell the story of the NFL and pro football in general. And 
if you're good enough to be recognized as one of the best players in an entire decade, uh, then you're, you're pretty much a shoe in uh, to get into the hall of fame. Uh, so, and it is notable, of course, that he is the first hall of famer for the Jaguars might be the f- last one for quite a while. Uh, <laughs> maybe Fred Taylor gets in. I, I don't know his resume too well, but um, he's really the only player uh, of real note uh, in their existence since uh, Baselli. But who knows, maybe Trevor Lawrence in 30 years. And he has a reputation for being pretty menacing. Uh, Jason Taylor, the Miami Del- Dolphins, great and Hall of Famer linebacker, said, uh, said there, there was a Monday night game where Baselli just completely owned him and still scares him to this day. He, he saw him. Uh, they were going through, I don't know, a pregame. Both retired at this point, and Baselli retired before Jason Taylor and kind of jumped at him to make him flinch, and he flinched because he's still mortified of him to this day. Yeah, he's one of the the biggest guys to ever play. You know the the tackle position. He started, you know that or this new era of giant offensive tackles. You think of he's six seven three twenty. I think is what he played at. Uh, you think of guys like Jonathan Ogden. Uh, Orlando Brown, Orlando Brown Jr., uh, both those guys. So, uh, yeah, mountain of a man, and he's definitely deserving. And it's uh, unfortunate that he couldn't play longer uh, due to his his injuries. So next up on the list, we'll go with uh, Leroy Butler. So safety for the Green Bay Packers, uh, played his entire career with the Packers from 1990 to 2001. Uh, Butler was uh, a key player on the uh, Super Bowl championship team uh, with Brett Favre, and he's credited with being the founder of the Lambo Leap. So the famous Lambo Leap celebration. Uh, Butler was a fourteen four-time uh, All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler, and also another member of the 1990s All-Decade team. So that's another <laughs> shoe-in usually. So I know it sounds obvious, but did Leroy Butler deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Hundred percent. He was also the last position player to get in from that 1990s All-Decade team. Uh, first team All-Pro four times. He has 38 interceptions in his career. It ranks fourth in Packers history. Uh, he was unique because he's a safety, right? And safeties are—they're not corners, they're not edge rushers. They're kind of expected to do everything, so they're judged by everything and considering there are only 34 players since 1940 with at least 20 interceptions and 20 sacks and almost all of them were uh good or very good brian erlacher for example 41 and a half sacks and 22 interceptions so butler absolutely i think that one of the more complete safeties in the history of the league he had a broken shoulder blade and kind of robbed some of his longevity uh, but his stretch of play from 93 to 98 is one of the more dominant stretches by a safety. He had 27 picks and 16 and a half sacks. And that's, that's a lot for a safety. Yeah. He's one of these uh, kind of the prototype we can, we can say about uh, for the modern NFL safety that that's playing down the box. That's equally good in coverage. Um, and those, the stats back it up, the, the, the sack numbers, the interception totals. And another thing about him is, is the durability. So from uh, 95 to 2000, he didn't miss a single game. And even earlier in his career, he missed, you know, four games in uh, five seasons. So uh, incredibly durable player and incredibly talented player. So I think it's it's pretty clear that, that he deserves his place there. Uh, 
And given that he was one of the last players from the 90s all-decade team, what do you think may have caused this sort of delay in, in his, uh, his uh, uh, induction into the Hall of Fame? Uh, it's just kind of some of the, the last couple of years, there have been a lot of surefire Hall of Famers that got in and delayed it. Like you look at last year, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but we kind of saw this coming. This class doesn't have uh, a bunch of huge stars, right? But these are players that have put in the work and they have a body of work that is very respectable and worthy of the Hall of Fame. So I think that there have just been some classes that were really stacked and have pushed this off, but this was definitely uh, a unique talent. Yeah, it's, it's hard to compete with Calvin Johnson and Peyton Manning and I think Charles Woodson were the headliners from yep. last year's class. So like you said, this class is uh, not too many household names. The most famous name might be the coach that got in, uh, but a lot of guys with with great resumes um, that, that definitely stand out above the crowd. And, and speaking of great resumes and some guys that stand out above the crowd, the next one I wanted to talk about was Sam Mills. Um, so he has a really interesting career path. Um, he played uh, for the New Orleans Saints and the Carolina Panthers uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. But he also played in the USFL for several years and was one of the best players in the USFL and actually won two rings in the USFL. And this is one of those uh, players that his resume, maybe at the at the NFL level alone, may not have been able, may not, may not have got him into the, the Hall of Fame. But this is the pro football Hall of Fame and not just the NFL Hall of Fame. So um, his rings there and his, uh, you know, elite level of play at the USFL definitely uh, helped out his case. Uh, but Mills was kind of a, a late addition. I think he was creeping towards the senior class. He may have, this may have been his last year of eligibility with the modern class before moving into the senior one. So was he, I'm not sure what word to use here, but was it like a charity case kind of that got him into the Hall of Fame or is he deserving as well? Yeah, it's interesting. Like you said, his story's fascinating and you tell the story of football and this is a pretty interesting guy. It was his last year on the modern era ballot. He made five Pro Bowls in 12 years with the Saints and the Panthers. He had seven seasons with more than 100 tackles uh, combined. He did pass away in 2005 from cancer uh, at age 45. Rest, rest in peace to him. He was an undersized linebacker, uh, five foot nine. And I think that his story uh, does kind of, uh, it, it makes his case. He was a late bloomer. He started at 27 in his NFL debut back in 1986. Uh, racked up nearly 1,300 tackles, 22 forced fumbles, uh, had a, has a special moment in Panthers history. Has a had a pick six against the Jets at Clemson in '95 uh, for the Panthers' first win in team history, and he also made the All Pro team at 37 years old the following year. And this is a guy that got cut by different teams. Uh, so I think that uh, also undrafted. Undrafted, undrafted, correct? Yeah. Um, so and and even there was a. a, a on Twitter, he was trend. There was a trend, a, a, a tagline trending with him called "Keep Pounding," and it was an emotional speech he made before they uh, beat Dallas in a wild card game in two thousand four. Um, so, and he and he was an assistant coach on the team at the time, going through chemotherapy, and he kind of boosted that team with his speech, and they rattled off three wins to to make it to their first Super Bowl. 
Yeah, and that was the uh, that's become the official like tagline or, or motto uh, of the Panthers. So, uh, yeah, like we've said, you can't tell the story of the NFL in the '80s, '90s, and and even early 2000s uh, without including this guy in there. So, maybe in totality, um, his uh, his resume doesn't stand out, but when you look at the impact that he's had, his story. Uh, going on from undrafted to all pro to multi-time champion in the USFL, not the NFL. Um, I think all those things considered makes him a, a pretty good uh, case for, for a hall of fame. Yeah. Shout out to him. It's just uh it's, it's, it's a great story. Um, I think it's a, him, him having a bust in Canton is, is a cool way um, to tell a good story uh, about football. Yeah, and he's in the ring of honor for both the Panthers and the Saints. Um, so that's that's pretty cool. You don't see that too often with, with one guy getting that honor from two teams, much less two uh, division rivals. So big, a small guy with a, with a big heart and a big impact. It's very cool. All right. Um, so next on the list, we have Richard Seymour. So Richard Seymour, he was one of the more controversial selections this year. Uh, he played for the New England Patriots from 01 to 08 and then spent three years with the Oakland Raiders. He's a big part of the uh, early Patriots dynasty. So, you know, those those early years of, of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Uh, but he did win three Super Bowls with the Pats, was a first team all pro three times during that that span, um, was a two time second team all pro. So five altogether made the Pro Bowl seven times. Um in a 12 year career. So more often than not, he was in the pro bowl and was also a member of the two thousands all decade team. So I, I wouldn't say that he's, his induction is controversial because of his resume, but maybe it being so early relative to, to some of his accomplishments. So what do you think it was that, that pushed him into the hall of fame this, uh, this early? Yeah, it might have something to do with uh, just being an integral part of Patriots' success. Um, he was a, a huge guy too. He, he uh, six foot six, three hundred seventeen pounds, just a mountain of a man as well. Uh, he, I believe, finished second in Defensive Player of the Year voting in two thousand three. Fifty seven and a half sacks in his twelve years with New England and and the Oakland Raiders. Uh, with him and Ty Law, they just mean a lot to the Patriots story during that early run. Ty Law was inducted in 2019, and um, they, they kind of have a special place as the first players franchise uh, for the Patriots to play on three Super Bowl championships and get to the Hall of Fame. So I think that he was very good. That was a very menacing defense, and he did play an important part of that. So this seems like just... We're not going to let the have this guy wait too long. He was an important part of a defense that dominated uh, the NFL for a very long time. Yeah, and the the all decades team probably puts him, uh, you know, over the top. And I think some of those guys from that early Patriots team are still waiting to get in. I think Willie McGinnis is still waiting to get in, which I'm, I'm sure he will eventually for those same reasons. You know, when you form the spine of one of the best defenses in NFL history over a certain span, you know, you have to be recognized for that. And eventually these guys will. So he's one of those names that you mentioned, you know, Ty law, Rodney Harrison, um, 
uh, Lawyer Malloy before he was traded. All those guys, you know, form the, the spine of that team. So, yeah. And uh, he is a, a for, for the Oakland Raiders or Raiders fans, uh, it's nice to see him get inducted. He was traded to the Raiders a little bit later in his career. Some people thought he might have been washed up at that time, but he still played pretty well and still made two Pro Bowls and a second team all pro with the Raiders. So he's definitely going in as a Patriot, but you can add one more Hall of Famer to the the Raiders uh, roster there. Okay. Next up is someone that I'm sure is is near and dear to your heart, and uh, that is Bryant Young. So Bryant Young was a defensive lineman for the San Francisco 49ers. He's on the Niners from 1994 to 2007, so the entirety of his career. He was a uh, first-team All-Pro in 1996 and a three-time second-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler, and a member, stop me if you've heard this before, of the 1990s All-Decade team. So did Bryant Young deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, definitely. There's a recurring theme here, right? It seems like everyone that's been inducted except uh, the powerful Sam Mills was on an All-Decade team. Uh 89 and a half sacks over 14 seasons with the Niners. Uh, it was a key part as a rookie um, on their last Super Bowl that they won in, in 1994. Uh, he was uh, all pro in 1996. He had 11 and a half sacks that year. Really powerful back. And to, for him to be the all-time sack leader for the Niners with some really powerful guys that played Charles Haley, Ahmad Brooks, Dana Stubblefield, an imp- impressive achievement for him and just shows how dominant he was uh, as, as a 49er. He was huge. Uh, the, the Niners had to purchase a pair of 200-pound dumbbells because he had outgrown the team's weight set. He was just a huge, strong guy. And uh, I think what was remarkable about him is, in, in terms of durability, he, he broke both bones in his lower leg after colliding with uh, Ken Norton uh, in 98. And uh, it was so gruesome that players from both teams told the medical staff to take to him. And he ended up coming back the following year, played all 16 games, highest second sack total of his career. He won comeback player of the year. Uh, So he went on to play eight more seasons after that. Just a very powerful guy. Yeah, he was one of the, uh, you know, most memorable players from those mid-90s Niners teams even as the team started to struggle a bit after the Super Bowl, um, he was one of the the con- most you know consistent players on that team. Um, any particular memories of him? I, I'm sure you watched him closely growing up as a Niners fan. His last game, uh, they we upset the playoff bound Buccaneers uh, in his last home game, and they carried him onto their shoulders off the field. Uh, I, I remember that pretty clearly, and that was pretty cool. Um, with him finishing his career as the all-time sack leader. Very cool. All right. And the the last player on the list is Cliff Branch. So, again, we talked about him quite a bit with with Kenny. Um, So Cliff Branch played for the Oakland slash Los Angeles Raiders from 1972 to 1985. Uh, Cliff Branch was one of the original deep threats in the NFL. Um, He was a three-time All-Pro Uh, a four-time Pro Bowler, led the NFL in receiving yards in 1974. And most importantly, perhaps, he was a three-time Super Bowl champion um, with the Oakland slash Los Angeles Raiders. So uh, it took Cliff quite a bit of time to get into the Hall of Fame. Um, There were some names that some guys and and names that got in ahead of him. 
Um, and it was uh, quite a, a painful thing for fans of the Raiders who watched him play, who watched him play. And uh, unfortunately he did pass away recently. So he was one of the post postalness uh, uh, inductees to the hall of fame, just like Kenny Stabler. Fortunately, they weren't able to, uh, to see them uh, to, to do, put on the gold jacket and, and give the speech and all that. So I'll ask you again, did uh, does Cliff Branch deserve to be in the hall of fame? Yeah, I think this was long overdue. Uh, perfect Al Davis player, right? It was very, very fast uh, when he was drafted in 1972. Uh, one of the best playoff wideouts ever. He had 73 receptions for almost 1,300 yards. Uh, and those were NFL records until Jerry Rice broke those records. He's still 12th all-time in career playoff receptions and 6th all-time in career playoff receiving yards. I think time has pushed down some of his stats, but nonetheless, in an era where uh, the Raiders would have ranked last in the league on pass attempts. Uh, he was definitely uh, an amazing weapon. Yeah. And, and you brought up a good point about his numbers, you know, not being um, that gaudy or jumping off the page and being pushed down at career totals and career averages and things like that because of the, the era of the NFL that he played in. But, you know, if you look at the years that he had over a thousand yards when, when he led the league, um, in, in receiving yards in 1974, there were less than, than three players that got a thousand yards receiving. So it, it wasn't the kind of ho-hum achievement that, that it is now. It was a big deal back then. Um, and that's how we have to evaluate these guys. And I think, you know, looking at, at raw numbers and raw statistics is, is a fool's errand because without the context, uh, you know, you can't really understand what you're looking at, Right. You know, if you look at a quarterback now who throws for 4,500 yards, you know, that might be the benchmark now, but just it was an incredible, even kind of unimaginable achievement during that, the era that, that Cliff Branch played in. So everything needs context. I agree. Uh, yeah. So those were the, the players uh, that were inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, there was a coach inducted to the Hall of Fame, uh, Dick Vermeil. He coached the Eagles from 1976 to 1982 took uh, more than 10 years off from coaching came back to coach the 97 to 99 St. Louis Rams and also coached the Kansas city chiefs from 01 to 05. Uh, he's one in one in super bowls. He lost uh, with the Eagles in 1980 to the, to, to the Raiders and then came back and led the greatest show on turf Rams with Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, et cetera to their first Super Bowl title in 1999. Um, he was the coach of the year in 1999 after winning that Super Bowl. Uh, and is just an overall good guy <laughs> from what it seems like all his press conferences and interviews. Seems like a great dude. Um, all that aside, did he or does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? I think if you lead a team called the greatest show on turf, that's, not, that's pretty cool just by reputation alone, even if he didn't necessarily have the greatest record of all 126 and 114 was his record. Uh, you should be in the hall of fame. I think what he was tasked with when he inherited the Eagles job, it was looked impossible. They, he had to make them winners and he had to do it with both hands tied behind his back because they didn't have a first round draft pick until 1979. And they hadn't had a winning record in nine previous seasons. So the fact that he got them to a, a super bowl appearance uh, it was pretty impressive. And 
just being a coach is tough. He he left the Eagles citing that he was just burned out, um, spent 15 years in the broadcast booth before going back to coach the Rams. So yeah, credit to him. It's it's being a coach is hard and turning a team around is hard. It's just such a stressful job. So yeah, this is this is well deserved. Yeah, we we saw that a lot during that era. Um, John Madden did the same thing. You know, excited burnout. Maybe his fear of flying contributed to uh, <laughs> to that as well. But he, he's another guy again where you he's one of the central characters in the NFL, uh, especially during that the era of the, that Rams team that was so dominant um, and felt, you know, just short of winning a second Super Bowl uh, against the Patriots, but he's one of the good guys in NFL history and he definitely deserves his place in, in the hall of fame. So I think we're all in agreement that all the players and coaches deserve to be here. There's one more inductee, uh, Art McNally. He was an NFL official for about 40 plus years. Uh, I'm not a fan of officials, so I'm going to say he does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> he's in the Hall of Fame for one reason. He's the father of instant replay. He introduced it uh, to the NFL. So he was just kind of a leader and an innovator for a, a job that isn't really considered very innovative. Uh, one thing I, I didn't realize about officials is a lot of them are like former lawyers because they have these uh, ability to remember a lot of rules, a lot of laws. So that's why they become referees later on in their lives. But I think he's here just on that achievement for bringing instant replay to the NFL. Yeah, I'm totally kidding. But yeah, a lot of these guys um, were, like you said, lawyers, high school principals or school principals, maybe some teachers here and there. I think uh, Ed Hockley was a lawyer as well, one of the more famous NFL refs. I think they're all full-time guys now, which makes sense because it's a pretty demanding and completely thankless job. Um, you know, it's kind of like offensive linemen. If, if we don't know who you are and we don't hear your name called, uh, then it, you're probably doing a good job. So, uh, yeah, shout out Art McNally for, for bringing in instant replay. All yeah, right. So all sports use instant replay. So he, he ch- changed how all sports view uh, every call for better or worse. Right. As, as we, yeah, as we look sure. at did the football wiggle a little bit while the wide receiver was trying to bring it down. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he had good intentions. He just, he wanted to avoid situations like the um, uh, you know, the Holy roller or the immaculate reception stuff. That's like so obvious upon the second review. I don't think that he knew he was creating this monster of, like you said, did the ball wiggle um, or did you know, the guy's pinky toe grazed the uh, the sideline before he caught it, or did he complete the process of the catch? So um, I'm sure his intentions were good, and there's been a lot of important calls and decisions and games decided by uh, refs making the right call after instant replay. So we'll, we'll focus on the good times. Yep. All right. So uh, those are all the players, coaches, officials that got in. There was a number of players, of course, that did not get in. Um, so we can go through the list of, of guys that were eligible. Um, I'll, I'll just talk through a few of these. Uh, or I'll, I'll, sorry, I'll list them out and we can discuss, you know, were any of these guys snubbed? Are they planning to, uh, are they hopeful of getting in at all? Uh, so we'll start with, uh, so Devin Hester is, uh, was his, his first ballot. Um, DeMarcus Ware, first year of eligibility. Uh, Tory Holt, Reggie Wayne. Andre Johnson, Zach Thomas, 
Rondé Barber, Willie Anderson, Patrick Willis, and Jared Allen. So for us, uh, you know, 90s kids and, and kids that started watching the NFL in late 90s, early 2000s, all of these names, I'm sure, are very familiar to the both of us, kind of the who's who of, of the NFL during that era. So we'll, we'll start with the two new guys. Um, so Devin Hester and DeMarcus Ware, there's quite a bit of buzz about them not making it to, you know, on the first ballot. Um, so did either of these guys get snubbed for first ballot? Did they deserve to be first ballot? Uh, DeMarcus Ware probably did. He was, you know, in- incredible. Devin Hester um, should be a Hall of Famer, but I mean, I don't think we should uh, riot with pitchforks because he didn't make it on the first ballot. Yeah, DeMarcus Ware is the most egregious snub, and even that, I mean, he did. Ha- he doesn't have an incredible resume, and he has a case to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but if him waiting a year means that someone like Sam Mills gets in on their last year of eligibility and right. Cliff Branch gets in, then I think it's worth it. Um, you know, he's an all-time great player, Super Bowl champ, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, he can, he can wait a year. The other one, Devin Hester, <laughs> I had a good laugh at, at this expense because nobody outside of Bears fans was, you know, upset about this, I think. You know, he's an incredible player, incredible return man. But to me, he's he's a specialist. And sure, specialists will get into the, the Hall of Fame. You know, we've got some kickers in there, some punters. And he deserves to be there. But I don't think a guy that really only can impact a game, maybe 10 plays a game, if that deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, he's going to be inducted soon, uh, but I don't think he was worthy of being a whole, uh, a first ballot inductee. Uh, so I don't think that, you know, Andre Johnson was an, another kind of st- strong snub, but no one's losing sleep over these guys not getting in now. They'll be inducted eventually. My, my actually b- biggest snub is Zach Thomas, who statistics are as good as Brian Urlacher. As Brian Urlacher is in the Hall of Fame, so I think Zach Thomas should be in the Hall of Fame too. Yeah, he's one of those guys that that is under the radar. Maybe he suffers from uh, playing in the same era as as other incredible middle linebackers. You mentioned Brian Urlacher, Ray Lewis, London Fletcher, guys like that. So uh, maybe if he did have some postseason success, um, you know, he was on the, the Dolphins for a long time. They were not very good during during his career. Um, so I'm sure that that doesn't help his case. But I like to think that he will eventually get in. You know, he's one of those guys that is just one of the the most recognizable, you know, biggest names during that that era, even if he did fly under the radar compared to some of these other uh, players, like I said, Ray Lewis, Brian Lacker, et cetera. Um, as for Andre Johnson, I just I think the the Hall of Fame is so harsh on wide receivers. I don't know what it is. It's just. Maybe it's, I mean, he's not, he wasn't a diva type, neither were two of the other guys on here, Tory Holt, Reggie Wayne, like they were never in the news for saying, give me the damn ball or blown up on the sideline. So I, I'm, I think all these guys will get in eventually, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know what it is about wide receivers. The hall of fame just grades them like on a, on a different curve than other guys. Yeah. Maybe Jerry Rice ruined it for everybody. If you uh, don't pop off the page as, 
legendary uh you should wait behind and and i I get it to some degree right you look at guys like a sam mills even like a brian young or a richard seymour these are positions where they're not going to overwhelm you compiling their stats it's going to take quite a bit for them to make their case so i get it though a wide receiver is a position that does easily compile stats and recognition it's a very sexy position to give praise to so i think that uh making way for some of the people that made it this year is a good example of why maybe a wide receiver waits a little bit longer yeah for sure and i think the fact that they didn't have any diva tendencies will help their case i know uh terrell owens waited longer than he probably should have for those same reasons uh or for that reason i should say because these writers don't like him. <laughs> they never did, but I guess eventually you can't deny the talent. Um, so there's a few other guys that, that were quote unquote snub uh, Rondé Barber, uh, Willie Anderson, Patrick Willis, and Jared Allen. Um, Rondé Barber will likely get in, you know, he was a member of that uh, dominant Buccaneers defense. So he'll, he'll probably make it on, on the back of that along with, of course, his, his uh, individual resume. Willie Anderson, the Hall of Fame is also tough on offensive linemen. He was on some really bad Bengals teams, so I don't know if, if he'll make it based on a lack of team success. Uh, but Patrick Willis, again, you're a Niners fan. What do you think about Patrick Willis? Does he have a, a legit case to get in? That's a good question. He, he didn't play super long. It, football is just such a difficult sport um, on linebackers. Linebackers and running backs get a lot of miles on him quickly. Um I wouldn't. Be, I think he might take a little while, but for leadership and and, and achievement, he, he he has a case to get in. It might take a little while, but I, I think he'll be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and um, we we've talked about in the past, like the the types of players that get into the Hall of Fame. Whether you you know some the one category is the guy like Sam Mills that played for a long time and made a big impact uh, and compiled stats, etc. And there's also guys like Terrell Davis who played for a few years, but were incredible, were elite, top of the top um, during their, their span. And I think Patrick Willis falls into that latter category. He played eight years and he was a five-time first-team All-Pro. He was a second-team All-Pro one year. So six out of eight years, he was on an All-Pro team. Seven out of eight years, he was on the All-Pro team. Uh, he led the NFL in tackles twice. He was the defensive rookie of the year. And I think probably most importantly, He's a member of the 2010s all-decade team. So he may have to wait because he doesn't have the raw statistical totals because he only played eight years, but I think he'll he'll probably get in in a few years. Yeah, for sure. He was a part of uh, that Niners 2009 to 2014 run of, of defensive dominance. And then all of the 49ers all retired like all at once in like 2016 or something like that. <laughs> That's uh yeah, we could say thank you, Trent Balky, for that one. <laughs> Trent Balky or Jed York. I don't know who you blame more. Balky, sir, will survive the apocalypse. He'll just yeah. always have a job, even if he burns it to the ground. Look at Jacksonville. <laughs> he's the the cockroach of NFL GMs, man. He's just I think he's been through three coaches in three years with the Jaguars, maybe four now with their, their most recent hire. So um, the last name on the list is someone that I, I, not that I forgot him, but 
I forgot how dominant this guy was, and that's Jared Allen. Uh, so defensive end played for the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Minnesota Vikings, he, uh, uh, and for the Chicago Bears and Carolina Panthers, but that was more of an, an afterthought in his career. But Jared Allen is another guy, five-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, um, and he came up half a sack short of the single-season record in 2011. Uh, but over his career, he has 136 sacks in 181 starts. So this guy was incredible. And honestly, I don't know what it is about him. I just kind of forgot that he was that good. And even late in his career, he was good. That Carolina Panthers team that went to the Super Bowl, uh, he was a, a pretty pretty dominant uh, player that year too. He was pretty important for them. So even late into his career, he showed durability and impact and then called it quits after that season. Yeah, he probably could have played uh, a bit longer as a situational pass rusher, but there's a stretch in his career from 07 to 2013 where he had double-digit sacks, and he peaked at 22 in 2011. So, again, half a sack short yeah. of the uh, of the record, which just seems unfair. Maybe if they reviewed the tape, they could find half a sack somewhere in there. Uh, but he would, he would also get you know close to 20 tackles for loss every year. So the guy was an absolute menace, and maybe – it was his number. He's number 69. So it's kind of goofy. Um, and maybe just his, his overall <laughs> personality. He had a mullet. He would, you know, have his little lasso celebration. Like he was uh, uh, lassoing up a calf with every time he had a sack. So he was memorable in, in that way, but I, maybe that distracted from his dominance. I don't know. I, it's hard to explain why he just kind of, you know, left my, my memory. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something about, these positions even in his case he compiled impressive stats but look at Bryant Young he uh, compiled impressive stats Tony Baselli didn't let a body get by him to the quarterback uh, more than twice a season basically so it's it's just the way these writers look at uh, how stats are compiled um, but I think he'll, he'll be in pretty soon him and some of the other guys we talked about that will have their day. Yeah, and he also is a guy that maybe suffers from a lack of postseason success. Um, yeah, you know, he played in seven playoff games in his career, uh, but doesn't have any signature playoff moments. Uh, so, yeah, he'll he'll probably get in as well, just off the the totality of his resume and the fact that, you know, for a, for a considerable stretch, in, he was one of the best defensive players in the NFL, and that that always helps your your case. So. There's just so many positions in football. It's not really the same as some of the other sports. Uh, it's hard to stand out when there's so many guys on the field and uh, you have just a few seconds to make an impact, especially on defense. You got the quarterback gets the ball out now in four, four seconds. Uh, so it's, it's difficult to be impactful. So kudos to those guys. Yeah. And for the defensive ends, there's all those uh, advanced stats that you can look at. Um, there's the, the base ones, you know, tackles, sacks, interceptions, whatever. Then there's all the other stuff, pressures, knockdowns, uh, you know, uh, pass rush, win rate percentage, all the stuff that, that makes Aaron Donald so dominant uh, aside from the, the simple stats. So, All right. Well, that's it for our show. Thanks uh, for tuning in as we uh, took a look at the 2022 uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame class. Uh, make sure to follow us on all social platforms. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, et cetera. 
check us out on all podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, Overcast FM, anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find uh, SLS and the 4040 Vision Pod. Uh, thanks again, Kenny, for your time. And thanks, Sam. I appreciate your time, man. Yeah, happy as always, man. Looking forward to the next episode. 